Did you know that last, two Sunday nights ago, that Ryan got to baptize six boys at Camp Owens in a horse trough? Isn't that awesome? You know, every Sunday and Monday night, Ryan goes up there and ministers to the boys. So make sure you're praying for them that uh, they have a short time to get discipled. It's about a three to six month window to get discipled. So really pray that just supernatural things will happen. Those kids will get grounded really quick when they accept the Lord. So, all right, great. All right, today I have two messages, part A and part B. We have looked at evangelism for, I don't know, four or five weeks, the Great Commission. We talked about prayer evangelism and friendship evangelism and kindness evangelism and door-to-door and tract and mass. But the one we have not talked about is power evangelism. Power evangelism is the biblical model of church growth. The other ones are ones that we created, and and some of them are, are, are good, like... We did this survey amongst us, say 150 people, and I said, how many people got saved through a friend or a relative? It was like 99.5% raised their hand that they got saved because of a friend. That's the primary way people get saved in the United States, but our churches in America are shrinking. Every single year, 4,000 churches close. That's 11 every day. Today, 11 churches will close. Tomorrow, 11 churches will close. The next day, 11 churches will close. So friendship evangelism and kindness evangelism isn't winning the masses to Jesus. Where people are being led to Jesus in mass is where power evangelism takes place. Inside the church, but especially outside the church. And so we want to look at power evangelism today. Wherever the church is exploding, there is power evangelism. Uh, I've heard so many uh, church historians speak about this and people that follow the church that they discovered back in the 80s, the church was exploding in South America and the church was exploding in China and, and they went to research why and they found out miracles was a common thing that people experience. In fact, they say that 80% of those that come to Jesus today are coming because of a healing or a miracle or a sign or a wonder. And over 100,000 come to Jesus every day, but it's not in America. Most of it is overseas. So what is power evangelism? It is demonstrating the gospel of the kingdom. It's more than words. It's actually where people see a miracle or they experience God in their mind through a vision, in their body through whatever means that God wants to touch somebody. Number two, power evangelism never downplays the need for the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. Never downplays it. But it understands that many people won't listen to the message without first seeing a demonstration of the word being confirmed by heaven as truth. So, the Word of God, it's vital. It's the power. It, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. People have to hear the Word. But many people will not listen to the Word until they see the Word. Power evangelism awakens people to the reality of God and that Jesus is Lord. 
Now, I have seen something about power evangelism that when someone gets saved, when they've experienced the power of God, they tend to jump in way quicker. Jim is a great example. Jim, raise your hand. See, he's just meditating back there. Jim experienced the power of God when he got saved. And he goes to three home groups. And he comes down and he's helped us put all these floors in. And he just can't get enough. He wants all that he can get. He goes to a Bible study on Tuesday morning at 6 in the morning. He's just hungry for God because he experienced the power of God when he got saved. And people who experience both the Word of God and the Spirit of God tend to jump in more than people that just make a mental decision or, on the opposite, people who just make an emotional experience but don't have the Word to ground them tend to burn out really quick. So it's both. It's the Word and the power of God. So power evangelism confirms or precedes the message so that people will pay attention to the message. It's something like this. Power evangelism causes people to wonder about the sign that they just saw or the sign they just experienced. What is power evangelism? It's healing. It's miracles. It's creative miracles. It's multiplication of food. It's signs in the heaven or earth. It's dreams. It's visions. It's trances. It's appearances. Power evangelism would also include the dramatic and visual deliverance from demons. Jesus often got crowd's attention through public exorcisms. Nowadays, we're, we're much more refined and smarter than Jesus. We take him into the back room to do it. But Jesus actually did it in front of people. <clears throat> so, those who track the growth of the church today, 80% of those being born again today are coming as a result in part due to signs, wonders, and healing, and miracles, and dreams. Many of you know how many Muslims are turning to Jesus, about 6 million a year, and many of them turn to Jesus because they experience a dream where they see Jesus, where they see the man in white. So you have to understand that good character by itself doesn't advance the kingdom. Good character alone doesn't advance the kingdom. So there's this very popular phrase in the body of Christ. I've never told you this, but here it is. Seek his face, not his hand. You ever heard that? Has anyone ever heard this? Okay. Well, I've heard it so many times, but here's, that's really unbiblical. The correct Bible teaching is seek his face and his hands, seek him and seek spiritual gifts, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. The Bible says that. The word earnestly desire means to covet jealously, go after with all your heart. So we are to seek his face and his hand. So God is always trying to teach us and give us more. More character, more anointing. More character, more anointing. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is likened to a dove. I've been told that a dove has nine bones in each wing. There are nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. There's nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. With the fruits and the gifts, the character and the power, you can go someplace. But if you only have one wing, you're going to fly in circles and crash. It is both the character of Jesus Christ and the power of God. So here's the truth. 
Being really nice doesn't get rid of demons. Being really patient, a fruit of the Spirit, doesn't heal the sick. Being really gentle doesn't cause fire on the word of our testimony that we speak. So we must walk in the character of Christ and demonstrate the power of Christ. It's both. Character must be complemented with power because character will not impact the city alone. Power alone creates cults, it seems like, and heresy. So... 17 times in the book of Acts, it's recorded that people come to the Lord. Guess how many of those times a supernatural miracle takes place? 16 times. Okay, but do you know the one time where it doesn't record a miracle? Here's what it says. And a few gave their hearts to the Lord. Every other time, it's multitudes, it's the whole city, the whole region, 4,000, you know, 3,000, 5,000. So the way that the early church evangelized was through signs and wonders and miracles. And basically the message is, if you like what God did on the outside, you want to see what he can do on the inside. <laughs> he could forgive your sins and wash you clean. So here's the Apostle Paul. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. Now, remember, Paul said, I wasn't a good speaker, but I proved I had knowledge. Remember that? He goes on to say that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, in, in America today, we would say we want people's faith to be in the Word of God, correct? We're a word people. But notice what Paul said. He wanted their faith to be in the demonstration of the power of God. That people could see with their eyes and experience in their minds or in their bodies, they could experience the power of God. So you can never argue a person out of an experience they had. If they've been healed, no one is going to tell them they haven't been healed. If Jesus took away their addiction, no one's going to tell them that it was psychosomatic. No one's going to tell them that. Okay, They're going to know it's Jesus. So Paul wanted their faith to rest on the power. And this goes along with 1 Corinthians 4.20. We are recording this, right? Yay. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Now, folks, I speak words, and we sing words. And we put words on notes, and we put words up on the screen. We like words. But Paul said the kingdom of God is power. It's power. Help us, Jesus. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing, and they only said what he heard the Father saying. I want this church to get addicted to Jesus, what are you saying? Jesus, what are you doing? At work, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you saying? At home, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you saying? When you walk through a store, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you saying? Folks, I am praying this more than I've ever prayed it. I'm asking every day, God, give me an opportunity. Give me an opportunity. I want you to get addicted to those prayers, okay? Because once we are, God will start opening these doors for us to see. Now, 
Notice this. In every form of watering or sowing, we talked about that a few weeks ago, bring up testimonies of his power that you have seen. Borrow one if you need to. Notice this. Jesus answered and said to the disciples of John, go and tell John the things that you have seen. If you can't see the gospel, are we really people of the gospel? It goes on. Peter said this when they threatened them not to speak. We cannot help but speak of things we have seen. For you will be witnesses to all men of what you have seen and heard. That which we have seen and heard. Notice the first thing mentioned in all those. What is it? We're supposed to see the power of God. So we can testify of the power of God so that people can know that God is not a respecter of persons and what he did for you or what he did for another person, he would do for you also. Presence evangelism. I'm not going to talk about it because once it's happening, there you go. His presence evangelism in a nutshell is simply revival. It's simply where we carry something in the region where people are interested in eternity where people are interested. During the Jesus People movement, hippies were getting, I mean, hippies were rebellious against God. On the cover of Time magazine, it said, God is dead. And then 10 years later, it said, Jesus People movement. (laughs) Well, that's great. God has a way of answering that. So it's his presence blanketing an area in an unusual or extraordinary way, bringing about an increase in the harvest. We've never had that up here. California, though, has had moves of God. The Azusa Street Revival. People came from all over the planet. People could see it even at times over the building. His presence blanketing an area. All right. That was part A. Here comes part B. Part A was easy. Last Sunday and last Monday... I heard on three different times, just in in my spirit, I heard this phrase, it's time to shift directions. To be honest with you, I didn't like the thought of it. I, I didn't like it. I'm very comfortable with how we do church. I'm very comfortable with my gift. What does it mean to shift directions? Well, if we're going to be biblical, we must realize what Paul said here. I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came in weakness and fear and with much trembling, but my preaching was with a demonstration of the power of God so that faith could rest on God's power, because the kingdom of God is in power. Well, we sing words, we teach words, we speak words, we make notes with words, but the kingdom is power. Do you remember that Peter heard the greatest teacher that's ever taught Jesus Christ, and he didn't fall on his knees, but when he saw the miracle, he fell before him. In the book of Acts, it is the word and the spirit, the, it's the word and the spirit 
that captures hearts. If it's just the word, there was little response in the book of Acts. A few believed. But the rest of the time, with, with, with the message of sound doctrine and the miracle of Christ, those disciples died for their faith. Now, I'm going to talk really honest with you this morning about how I did not want to talk to you about this this morning. I, I did not want to talk to you this morning about this. I just wanted to do my nice little teaching and be done. And I, I really fought this week. Uh, I don't want to rock the boat. I want to stay the course. I don't want to shift things. I, I want to do what I know to do because it's comfortable. It's comfortable for me. But folks, what is the definition of insanity? I've been teaching here for th- I've been teaching here for 30 years. July 1st, 1986. I was 26. Such a baby. I've given over 2,000 messages here. I have tens of thousands of pages of notes in my computer. Tens of thousands. Sometimes it's very practical teaching, and other times it's very reaching. And I've preached and preached and preached for more authentic New Testament power, New Testament obedience, New Testament miracles, New Testament character, and a New Testament transformation of a valley. And though many call us the river, we've been a trickle. We've never lived up to the name that was prophesied to us. And I love the Kern River. My favorite thing about this valley, other than you guys, is the river. It's my favorite thing. Some of you don't know about the river. You just don't experience it the way I experienced it. I just love the river. I love to float in it. I love to go down the rapids in it. I love to snorkel in it. I love to play with my kids and my grandkids in it. I love to jump off rocks, though they need to get shorter the older I get. But <laughs> I, I, when it's 105 out and you jump in that water, it is the most. To sit on a rock and have water coming over you, uh, there's nothing like, and some of you are duds at the river. You're, you are duds. Okay, I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about today, but some of you are duds at the river. You sit on the shore and you drink your soda. And get in the river! <laughs> when the Kern River is high, or even medium, I stay away from it, unless I'm on a raft with a good raft guide. And even then I have went in. <laughs> In the natural, it's probably good that I'm cautious about the river and I only want to go in when it's safe. But when you bring that to the river of God, and if you just want to be cautious, you'll never get swept away. And so for me, I have been in the last 30 years around outpourings of the Holy Spirit that I wouldn't call a river, but I'd call them scary uh, uh, streams. I've been at times where I've said I'm scared because of the power of God. But in the last 30 years, I have seen so much silliness 
around the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I've seen heresy spring up around the supposed moving of the Spirit. And I've seen great signs and wonders, prophets and apostles exposed for living in great sin that I got to the place where I just wanted to be in my gifting of being able to teach and not go to that place where it tends to get messy. In other words, I wanted God to live inside of my understanding of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What? Inside my box. If I only want a mild, balanced, understandable movement of God... I've never changed my doctrine about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the last 30 years. But because of the silliness and those that have fallen and the heresy that springs up, I just got timid about it and I wanted to be more in control. And so when the Lord spoke to me last Sunday and said, it's time to shift directions, and I thought, no. I remembered right away an experience I had 13 years ago. 13 years ago, I was lying in my bed, and I fell into a trance, a vision, whatever it was, and I saw myself standing up here in front of you. And here's what I said. If we're not a church of power in two years, I'm leaving the church, and we'll get someone else to come in who will take you on. If that wasn't bad enough, I said it again. If we're not a church of power in two years, I'm going to leave and someone else will come in. When I came out of this, the first thing I thought was, why did I say that? It was so real, I thought I had said it. It took me about a minute to realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, that didn't happen. I don't remember ever saying that. I, that okay. So when I came out of that, I realized, okay, God wants to do something here. So what happened when I had that encounter? I taught on the Church of Power for two years. That one experience gave me two years of preaching. Oh, it was, it was good. I broke it down like a teacher, the Church of Purity and the Church of Praise and the Church of Suffering and the Church of Service and the Church that speaks the Word and... You see, I, had, I viewed this experience from God as something to teach, not to become. I thought I fulfilled my duty after that two years was up of my teaching, and I got a lot of attaboys. That was good, Mike. I had a few come-ons even, you know, a few hallelujah. I figured we had arrived, so I... See, I viewed it as a mandate to teach, not a mandate to actually become a church of power. I was satisfied teaching it. Back then, I had fill in the blanks. Hey, come on, we had it going. You know, it's a good word here. And 22 years ago today, I had a power encounter with God where he knocked me to the ground and I shook for an hour and a half and I got up, and I had to hold on to the wall to walk. 
But four years of depression fell off me because I had a power encounter with God. This church needs a power encounter. Can I be so bold to say you need a power encounter with God? It changed me. I've never had it since. You know, we have some good doctrine. We're good old conservatives. We have some good morals here. But we need the power, the transforming power of God to rock our nice Christian world. When I heard this phrase, it's time to shift direction, I remembered that dream. And I thought, oh no, I missed it. Because I thought it was something to teach and not to become. Here's the truth. We've already been taught way beyond where we live. Some of you that are newer, you still need more teaching. And I'm not saying we're not always going to teach. We are always going to teach. But most of us have been taught way beyond where we live. If we lived what we've already been taught, the valley would probably be saved and missionaries would be sitting out in abundance. In a sense, we don't need more teaching. We need more living. Then we could absorb much deeper the teaching we receive. So... I had an interesting response to this in the first service. As I greatly struggled with putting this together this week and fought all kinds of emotions, I planned on saying to you, of course I'm not saying it, but this is what I planned on saying to you. (laughs) If in two years we haven't moved into New Testament authentic power, I'm leaving. I preached about this stuff for 30 years. I want to experience it. I want to I want to hear constant testimonies of the miracle power of God transforming your lives, your family, your children, people at your work, people at your school, people in your neighborhood, people in my neighborhood. I want to experience that. Now, I didn't say what I just said, but that's what I was planning on saying. Of course, Teresa was sitting there, don't say it, don't say it there. And Sheila's sitting over here, say it, say it. Draw the line in the sand, say it. I didn't say it. I'm being really honest with you right now, but I actually begin to think, well, I could become a teacher. I can start subbing. I started to think this way, folks, if in two years. Now, I hope that puts something on you. Like, let's jump in the river. Shore sitters. Those that are putting your toes in. It's time, it's time to jump in. You say, Mike, what does this mean? What are you saying? That's for him to know and us to find out. Here's one thing I know it's going to mean. 
I'm, I'm known for preaching 45 to 55 minutes a week. <clears throat> That's changing. Because we're going to do more Holy Spirit time. If that makes you uncomfortable, good. Change is coming. The encounter that I had 13 years ago, I feel it fresh upon me. I'm not saying anything else. (laughs) We will always worship. We will always teach the word. Now, let me tell you, I'm, I'm somewhat comforted by the pastors that we have. I'm very comforted by the pastors we have. (laughs) I'm very comforted by the pastors we have because they're so committed to the Word of God. And as I felt like God was speaking this stuff to me, I'm saying, I I can trust the other pastors to correct me. I can trust them to show me if I get off track. I can trust them to say if I, any kind of doctrinal thing. But I, folks, we're, signs and wonders is biblical. The gift of the Holy Spirit is biblical. Encountering the power of God is biblical. None of this is way out there. It's just when you've seen such silliness, but at the same time, have most of you don't know about the visitations we've had that have been trickles, and yet they were glorious when they took place. I credit that all three of my children walk with Jesus because they had encounters in 1996 when the Spirit was poured out on our children even. And some of those kids are still awake today. Daniel, he was up here last week. He has such an anointing in worship. It's just amazing. Carrie was touched during that thing. Stephanie Burns was touched during that thing. There were kids who were so impacted. And some of you, you were here. It was freaky. And we didn't ask for it. I remember. I remember talking about this to Mark and Amber Shepherd. And they were saying, Can't it happen again? Because my kids need to be awakened. (laughs) My kids need to be awakened. So I want you to get really addicted to. What are you saying? What are you doing? What are you saying? What are you doing? Go ahead and get out of this message and go to, you know, I can't think of it, but you know. So, I'm telling you this now. As pastors, we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and we release them upon you. We give you permission to walk in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Not that you need that. I'm just telling you, just trying to say something, to free something up. But here's the only caveat. You must be open to correction if you need it. Go for it. You know, that was... I don't know why you were so nervous about me preaching. I did it. I walked through it. The lives that have impacted this planet have been all rocked by the power of God. The lives of men and women that have impacted this planet 
have all been rocked by the power of God. And many Christians simply live nice lives until they encounter the baptism with the Spirit. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about speaking a little bit of tongues. When people got baptized in the Holy Spirit, it was said of them they turned the world upside down. In America today, we're, we're fine with a baptism where we speak in a little tongue, but where we don't change the culture around us. That's not the baptism with the Holy Spirit. When John G. Lake, John G. Lake, he sought the baptism for eight months. And when he experienced it, the world around him changed in Africa and Spokane, Washington. I had another name in mind, but I can't think of who it is. Charles Finney. When Charles Finney was baptized with the Holy Spirit, he experienced it for 24 hours. And Charles Finney could just simply look at people and people would come under conviction. He could speak a word. One time he was on a train and the train went through a town and in that town, people in the bar fell out under the power of the Spirit. Now that's the baptism I want. That's the baptism that Joel has been earnestly seeking for about eight or nine months. This is who we are. You see, my mom and dad started this church, and when they started it, their goal was to become a New Testament apostolic church with signs and wonders, with sacrificial living, with holy lives. That was their goal, was to have a New Testament church. I picked up the banner after my dad and with my dad that it's what we live for. So, are you ready for a ride? What are you doing? What are you saying? Are you drinking yet? Or are you just staring at me? Drink. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We need a fresh baptism. We need you. We cannot live here. We cannot stay here. Our valley is lost and going to hell. Save a church gets baptized in the Spirit. Unless a people get immersed in God, unless our shadow begins to carry the anointing that Peter carried, Catherine Kuhlman carried it walking through, hosp- through airports. Women, people got out of wheelchairs at times. God, we pray for that kind of baptism. God, we don't want to teach about it. We don't want to just dream about it. We want to become a church of power, New Testament authentic power that walks with God, that knows God, that knows the voice of God, that knows the hand of God, that knows to move when you move and sit when you sit and run when you run, that we follow the the shepherd's voice and the shepherd's leading. Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Begin to touch right now. Begin to move right now. So in Ezekiel, I think it's 36, there's a vision of dry bones. A a vision of dry bones where when he prophesied, 
the bones came together. But there was no breath of life in them. And then he told Ezekiel, prophesy for the breath to come, the wind of God, the spirit to come. And when the breath of God came into this, it was called an exceedingly great and mighty army. When the spirit of God came upon dry bones, I don't know where you're at, but I think most of us would say, we know what dry bones is. Some of us, it's our prayer life. It's dry. Maybe it's time in the word. Maybe it's simply serving others where there's just no joy in it anymore. Our worship has just become rote. But God, we pray that you would breathe life upon us and that you'd remember, God, the things that you've promised to us. So if you're stirred this morning, I ask you to come up here and stand up here. If you need some river, if you need some river, if you're saying today, I'm jumping in the river, I cannot stay on the shore anymore, I cannot just put my feet in. It's so hot, I've got to immerse myself. The heat of demonic warfare, the heat of trials and tribulations, the fiery trials, I have to jump all the way in the river. Jesus.